0: Welcome back to another episode of Remyumptum Ruminations. I'm the host, Scott. Today's episode is called Doubt Your Doubts About Your Doubts. Or you can doubt those too. You know, just doubt everything. say that a little bit tongue in cheek. And for those that get the reference, it's a talk by Elder Uchtdorf. And that's going to be the subject for today. As I was thinking about the content of the previous episode where I talked about the choice to believe or the choice to have faith, we discussed a little bit about the difference between faith and knowledge. And then in the following episode, we talked about the distinction between A secular version of faith versus a religious version of faith. Faith and doubt go hand in hand. And I want to explore this idea a little bit. Now for a quick recap, last week we talked about the distinction of faith, of secular faith and religious faith, where a secular faith leans heavier into evidence and a religious faith leans heavier into an authority figure, be that scripture or a prophet. Cognitive dissonance and doubt and questions, they come up when an authority figure directly contradicts what the evidence shows. So when an authority figure says that the book of Abraham is a translation from the papyrus, but the evidence shows something different, that's where doubt comes up. That's where questions come up when there is a discrepancy between the authority and the evidence. So what should we do when we have doubts or questions or concerns? This concept of doubt your doubts, it's, it's fascinating to me. I tend to overthink and overthink and rethink and dwell on things for probably way too long. When I hear an idea such as doubt your doubts, I think of it. And I try to apply it to other things. And I try and look at it in different ways or different aspects of our life. And I don't think that doubt your doubts is good advice. And perhaps I'm misunderstanding this. Maybe there's a believer or a listener out there who has a different idea on this. But to me, the idea of doubt your doubts is don't think critically. That's the concept. It's ignore the critical thinking aspect of your brain. That's the advice. And what I mean by that is this. Let's apply this concept of doubt your doubts to other aspects of our life. And and I'll just do maybe two examples. Let's say you're buying a new home. And you're looking through the house with your spouse. And you're going through all the details of the house. And for some reason, you doubt that the house would be a good purchase. Something in the back of your mind is nagging at you that the purchase of this home is not a good idea. But we should just doubt our doubts and ignore those thoughts. So just just buy the home and don't think too hard about it. Is that good advice? I mean, clearly no. No. That isn't to say that the home wouldn't be a good home, but if you have doubts about this being a good home to purchase, research it. That's why you have a home inspector come in and look through the house to see if there's any problems with it. That's why you should know if this home inspector is trustworthy, if it's someone who is going to find the problems. And then once the house has been inspected... Once you have thought critically about it, done the research, and studied it, then you can put your doubts at ease. Let's do another example because I think this is kind of funny. And we'll do another important one. Let's say you're dating someone and you're considering marriage. And this person, your partner, has been lovely the entire time, but lately you've noticed some red flags and you doubt that this person would make a good companion for you. You should just ignore those and you should doubt your doubts because doubting your doubts is what we do. Is that good advice? I and mean, Clearly it's not. Again, with the previous example, that isn't to say that this couldn't be a wonderful spouse. It, that isn't to say that this person is not the right person for you. It just means you should explore your feelings, find out why you feel that way, and see if there's any validity to these doubts that you have. We could we could take this concept to so many different things. You know, we have mathematically we can look at an equation and say one plus one equals two. I think I used this example last week. Sorry for reusing it. And, you know, I doubt that it will ever not equal to. Oh, but I should doubt my doubts. So maybe it will one time when I add it up, not equal to. Doubting your doubts is bad advice. It is advice that means don't think critically. Now, I'm going to flip this a little bit because I think that there's also an uncomfortable application of this in the opposite for a believer. Let's say a believer has a testimony that the church is true and knows that Russell M. Nelson is a prophet and has, a faith, has faith in the Book of Mormon, has received a witness that the Book of Mormon is the Word of God. Now, this person that is sure in their faith, this person would doubt this knowledge or these feelings came from themselves. They doubt that it comes from themselves and they believe that it comes from an external source. So they should doubt their doubts. You can apply this to the prophet and the apostles. They claim to have a knowledge that God exists and to have a greater access to spirituality than the rest of the membership. Would they then doubt that other members of the church have greater access to deity than them? But they should doubt their doubts. So that means that other members of the church do have the same access or greater access to deity than they do. Perhaps I'm overthinking this, but you can see where this idea of doubting your doubts is just silly. If you have a doubt or a concern, think critically. Now, I do want to examine a little bit the talk that this comes from. So let's let's read exactly what Elder Uchtdorf was saying. Perhaps I'm taking him out of context. The quote in question comes from a section of his talk called, There is Room for You. This is after he's established that there are other reasons that people leave the church. He brings up unanswered questions, although he skirts around any of the real issues, because they, they can't really bring any of that up in general conference. And I don't expect them to. He talks about mistakes of other people, and then he talks about people feeling like they don't fit in or they don't belong. And it's in this that this. Um, phrase comes from, and so I'll I'll read that a little bit and and kind of give you guys the context leading up to it, and then we'll see if we'll see if this is good advice or if it's bad advice. He says, and this is near the end of his talk. For those that want to look it up on their own, to those who have separated themselves from the church, I say, my dear friends, there is yet place for you here. Come and add your talents, gifts, and energies to ours. We will all become better as a result some might ask but what about my doubts it's natural to have questions the acorn of honest inquiry has often sprouted and matured into a great oak of understanding there are few members of the church who at one time or another have not wrestled with serious or sensitive questions one of the purposes of the church is to nurture and cultivate the seed of faith even in the sometimes sandy soil of doubt and uncertainty. Faith is to hope for things which are not seen, but which are true. I'll give him a thumbs up on that definition. I think that's a good way to define faith because it's a hope. It's not a knowledge. He continues. He says, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, my dear friends, please first doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith. We must never allow doubt to hold us prisoner and keep us from divine love, peace, and gifts that come through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. What this fails to capture is actually his sentiment from the previous paragraph. These doubts arise from honest inquiry and honest concern and honest questions These doubts don't come up because someone wants to disbelieve. In fact, the majority of those that I've spoken with, again, this is not an all-encompassing statement because I've not done a study on this, but the majority of those that I've spoken with come into a faith crisis or or come into a faith deconstruction genuinely trying to restore their faith. They don't come into it with the intention of leaving the church. The beginning of faith deconstruction is honest and earnest. And for many people, the goal is not to leave. For many people, the goal is to restore their faith, not destroy it. I doubt that Joseph Smith had sexual relations with these plural wives. Why would he do that? Ah, but uh, according to this advice here, we should doubt our doubts. (laughs) I I just think that this whole idea is bad advice. It's bad advice. On one hand, this talk is awesome because it's presenting more accurate reasons why people leave the church. But on the other hand, it is severely lacking and... It upholds one of the false assumptions that people leave the church because of that because they were offended. There's a whole section of his talk where he talks about the mistakes of imperfect people and how we shouldn't let the mistakes of other people have us leave the church. The last thing I want to address in this talk is that he is proposing like a big tent version of Mormonism that some people will describe. A version of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints where a doubter or a non-believer would be welcome. But in my opinion, that couldn't be further from the truth. Elder Uchtdorf continues this talk and he right from the spot that i finished quoting where i was talking where i was citing him as saying doubt your doubts before you doubt your faith he goes on and he asks hypothetical questions that someone who left might ask i just don't fit in i don't think i could live up to the standards i know a member of your church who's a hypocrite he's citing all of these things and then he says come join with us if these are your desires, then regardless of your circumstances, your personal history, or your strength, or the strength of your testimony, there is room for you in this church. Come, join with us. In spite of our human imperfections, I am confident that you will find among the members of the church many of the finest souls this world has to offer. The Church of Jesus Christ seems to attract the kind, the caring, the honest, and the industrious. A bit of this is frustrating to me, and I'll share a little bit of my spiritual deconstruction with you to express why this is frustrating. And perhaps some of the listeners out there have had similar experiences. So I'll ask a question, and you can think about this question while I'm telling this story. Let's say you're sitting in gospel doctrine, and the teacher is speaking on a subject and let's say they cite something from church history that you know is wrong, just absolutely did not happen the way it's presented. What would happen if you raised your hand and corrected the teacher and taught the accurate history of this event? How would the teacher respond? How would the congregation respond? How would the bishop respond? What sort of thing would happen? There are many people who have done this. What is the response when you express your doubts or express your concerns about a belief? What is the response when someone comes up before the congregation and comes out as being gay or lesbian or transgender? What's the response? Elder Uchtdorf here is trying to make the church look like a big tent organization where everyone is welcome, but that is not the reality. The way that it is practiced is not big tent Mormonism. The way that it is practiced is exclusionary of anyone that has a different idea or belief. Let me make a stipulation. They're exclusionary of anyone who would express these different ideas or different beliefs. During my faith deconstruction process, near the end of it, near where I had I had stopped believing in just about everything, I still wanted to participate. I thought that this big tent Mormonism existed. I thought that it was a thing. I thought that I could participate with my wife and family even if I didn't believe that the church was true or even if I didn't believe that Joseph Smith was a prophet. I wasn't as interested in going into the temple or paying tithing or doing any any of those things, but I was fine participating and holding callings and and supporting my wife in her earnest desire to attend church and use the latter-day saint faith as her way to interface with deity now at this around this time i gave a talk in church i was asked to speak in church i had an inkling that it would be my last talk that i ever gave and so far that's held up to be the case i decided while i was preparing it that i was not going to say anything that i didn't believe And I was not going to teach anything that I didn't believe. Luckily, they didn't really give me a subject. I was always that member of the church that if you asked them to do something, I would just do it. And so this was a last minute, hey, can you you fill in? Can you do this or that? And they just asked me to speak, did not give me a subject. So I taught about what I was studying at the time, (laughs) which was Buddhism. And I likened a lot of the teachings of Jesus to Buddhism. I taught elements of the Four Noble Truths, and I related them to some of the teachings of Jesus. And I talked about imperfections and being imperfect people and how we don't need to be perfect. We just need to be us. And it was was my favorite talk that I ever gave. It was awesome. In fact... I had, I'm not saying this to just exaggerate, I'm just saying what happened. I, typically when I spoke, most people wouldn't come up to me or say anything. But after I gave this talk, I had a dozen people come up to me, not in the halls, but immediately after sacrament meeting. And they started talking to me about what I had said. Many people resonated with what I was saying. Now, as I was leaving This just happened to be a week where the stake president was in attendance and he was up on the stand. So I was, I was exiting the stand uh, to go and get my kids. I didn't know him and I'm kind of an introvert, so I wasn't going to say hi, but I was walking like past him. And so I'm walking past him and he shoots his arm out and he grabs me by the wrist and he says, that was an excellent talk. And it kind of struck me like weird. Like, I don't know, like, that was all he said. And so I just kind of like said, oh, thanks, and, and left. Two days later, I get a phone call from the stake secretary. He sets up a meeting. The stake president wants to meet with me. And then, <laughs> it was supposed to be originally at the stake center. But then a couple of days later, they asked if, if he could just come to our house. And I said, sure, fine. And the stake president came to our home. Proceeded to ask me why I didn't have a temple recommend. I got the impression, now I can't confirm this because I, I don't know for certain, but I got the impression that he wanted to extend a, a calling to me, but saw that I didn't have a temple recommend. So he came and he wanted to talk about that. And what ensued was one of the worst conversations that I've ever had in my entire life. It was so awkward. <laughs> He was asking me, and I don't like being fake, so I was just being candid with him. He was asking me questions about belief, and I was answering him as honest and open as I could, and he did not like the answers that he was getting. And so he tried his best to convince me that I was wrong, but in person, I tend to share very little of myself. I, I don't open up very much, and so the answers I was giving were honest, but they were very short. You know, do you believe in the Book of Mormon? No, I think it's a myth story, but I think it has value because I think there are important lessons. That sort of thing. I wasn't going into a lot of detail, but I was telling him precisely where I stood. The conversation quickly um, it got heated, but not like in an angry way. It was the first time I think that my wife saw that I was other, that I was no longer welcome in the tent of Mormonism, and. As the conversation continued, she, you know, her story is not my story to tell, but I'll say this. She cried. She sat there crying. As the stake president, and I discussed the truth claims of the church. And as he left, he tried to cover, I asked him, so what did you want to talk about? Was there something else that you wanted to say? And as he left, he said, no, no, we just like to visit members of the, of the stake. (laughs) and then he left it was a very awkward experience but it clearly illustrated to me that this is not big tent mormonism there is not room for someone to doubt there is not room for someone to disagree and that was the first step of of me distancing myself from the church Because even as a disbeliever, I thought that I could attend. I thought that I could participate. But I was shown that that's not the case. And perhaps I came up a loser in the game of bishop and stake president roulette. I don't have any anger or malice towards him. It was fine. He's doing what he believed. He's doing what he thought was right. And that's okay. That's his choice to make. But it made it clear to me that this concept of Big Tent Mormonism that that Elder Uchtdorf is trying to talk about and and encourage here is not a thing. It does not exist. I want it to. I I think the church would be a much healthier organization if it did. And perhaps it will get there one day. But presently, that is not what it is. Before I started telling this story, I asked what you guys thought the response might be for someone asking questions. Anyone who I have spoken with that has spoken out has had a very similar story to mine. If you're open about your doubts, you are pushed to the side. That's just what happens. Even if you're a believer and you present The Mormonism, as it really the Mormon history, as it really happened, you'll get pushed to the side. Big tent Mormonism does not exist. So when you have a talk like this one from Elder Uchdorf about "Come join with us" from 2013, where he's talking about doubt your doubts and come back to the church, there's not a space for someone with doubts in the church. For someone who is earnestly seeking to know if the church is true or false and actively digging into the history and to the theology and the dogma and everything about the belief system. If they are doing that, they are not welcome. I would be happy to down the road, run an episode where I say, Hey, you remember that doubt your doubts episode where I talked about big tent Mormonism? Well, guess what? It's a thing now. I would love to be able to do that. would love for the church to change and become a healthier organization. But as someone on the outside, I can't affect that sort of a change anymore. That will be on the members that are in the church to normalize open discussion about sensitive and uncomfortable topics. It will take courage. Maybe we're 20, 30, or 40 years away from that. Maybe it's something that'll happen in 10. I don't know. But it's something that needs to happen. I'm so envious of other religions that can have an open discussion and disagreement about theology in a way that's just not available in Mormonism. I'm rambling at this point. If my podcast, Umptum Ruminations, is something that you enjoy, I would greatly appreciate liking it and leaving a comment on whatever podcasting platform you use thank you so much for listening today i hope that you all have an excellent day